said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three things that Jesus said. Deny self. Take up your cross. Follow me. And we can change the world. And he set the pace. All right, welcome back to our series called Disciple. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Once again, we're going we're gonna to read a lot of scripture today. Most of it is going to be in the book of Mark, and in, in many ways, we're going to survey almost the whole chapter, if you can believe that. So we're going to be flipping and turning and, and reading together. We're going to start in Mark. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we're grateful for our day. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as your church, as Transit Church. And uh, as always, Lord God, we thank you that um, we have this opportunity to read your word, to glean um, from the life of Jesus, the, the, the mission and the message of Jesus, and especially from uh, the perspective of Mark's gospel, um, how he presents Jesus to us and tells us what Jesus came to do. Lord God, give us eyes to see in your scriptures what you would have for us today. Help us to see your gospel. But more than that, Lord God, help us to embrace it and to apply it to our lives. Give us ears to hear. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, you got your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, there's some down in the middle, uh, middle column of, of seats, and you are welcome to, to use those as you are worshiping with us today. And obviously, if you, want to, if you don't have a Bible and you want to keep that, grab it and take it with you home. Um, so we're in a series called Disciple, and we're looking through a number of lenses, what it means to, to truly follow Jesus. Just a little bit of a review. Two weeks ago, we started with the Great Commission, looking at Matthew 28, verses 16 through, through 20. Jesus' great words, I have all authority. And so go in my name, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. And in the midst of that, we understand from Jesus' parting words as he was going back into eternity that um, he calls us to be his disciples and then he left leaving, with, uh, leaving us with a commission to go and make disciples. And then last week we looked at a number of scriptures throughout the New Testament um, really geared around what, what, is it actually, what, is, what actually is a disciple. And this is, what I just, uh, this is how I define uh, the word disciple. A disciple is... Someone who's following Jesus, who's been formed by the gospel. And then in the likes of the, the Great Commission, a disciple is one who also is, is learning by the gospel. If the gospel is, is Jesus Christ died in my place for my sin and was raised, then the message that is conveyed in the Bible about Jesus is, is that message. And we're supposed to learn uh, intimately what it means for us to to be uh, a person who Jesus has died for and was raised from the dead. In the Great Commission, Jesus says that when we become a Christian, the gospel uh, puts us in unity with the Godhead. We become 
uh, in union with God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19. But also we come into unity with his church. And then lastly, uh, the Great Commission tells us that um, we communicate the gospel. Our primary uh, primary uh, job as a person following Jesus is to take his message of him, of Christ and him crucified and give that away to others. And we also last week talked about the goal of discipleship. What, what is that thing that Jesus is doing in me? He's making me in his image, in his likeness. I'm, I'm, he's doing things in me to make me look like Jesus. Today, we're going to go one step further. Uh, we're going to survey the book of Mark and look at the life of Peter. We're going to do a character study in many ways to see the process of, of, of just one example of how a person becomes a disciple. Um, the Gospel of Mark is anonymous, just to give you a, a little background on it. Um, tradition says that it was written by a, game, uh, a guy named John Mark. We find uh, that in Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 12, that he authors it. The reason why we can find much about Peter's life in, in the Gospel of Mark is because church leaders tell us that Mark wrote this gospel, he wrote his gospel, based upon sermons that he had heard from Peter. So very much when you're reading the gospel of Mark, you're, you're looking through a lens of, of Peter, you know, a firsthand account of the, the, the apostle Peter as he lived life with Jesus. And so the gospel of Mark focuses his account on two questions. Firstly, he says, who, who is Jesus? Who is this man, Jesus? And secondly, he asks us, what did he come to do? And uh, Mark is a fast paced gospel. And he for, I mean, he kind of forces that on us right from the very beginning. In, Ma- in uh, Mark, chapter one, verse one, uh, Mark writes the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. He wants to convey that Jesus is the son of God. And he unfolds that through the 16 chapters of the book. And then 14 verses later, he writes this in verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And, and so what we see throughout this whole gospel is, is Mark un, unfolding for us that Jesus expects us to turn from however we're living life and follow him. Jesus is introducing us a new way of living. Whatever you have experienced and whatever you come uh, to the table with thinking that good and righteous is is not it. Jesus comes ushering in a new way to live and he calls it life in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is accessible, Jesus says, to those who would access, access it by faith. And so what Mark does in his gospel is presents a, a case exactly for that. Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? He comes to bring the kingdom. And so Mark shows us Jesus in action. You'll see the word repeated constantly throughout this gospel, the word immediately. Immediately, Jesus went to this place. Immediately, Jesus did did this in this place. And oftentimes, it was interacting with people, healing, delivering, uh, accomplishing things to demonstrate the kingdom. And so Mark shows us Jesus with great authority. He shows him as one teaching uh, as he was sent from God. He shows us that Jesus was healing and he, uh, healing the sick and the lame. We see Jesus controlling the wind and the waves. We see him casting out demons. Jesus was routinely doing things that other people thought were impossible to do. 
that phrase. What's in uh, what's impossible for man is, is possible with God is, is we find that right here in the book of Mark. We also see in the midst of Jesus exercising great power and authority, we see his compassion for people. There's no person that we encounter as Mark unfolds this gospel that Jesus uh, did not have concern for. He touched everyone in a meaningful way uh, as, as as Mark shows us Jesus glimpses of him in in his uh, in his book. And therein we see the role that Jesus has with his disciples. As the story progresses, obviously, we see Jesus moving on toward death. He comes to the temple and he interacts with those, the, the money changers, the beggars in the temple. And he gets he becomes indignant. He says, you've turned my temple into a, a den of thieves and, and robbers instead of uh, understanding what the temple was really meant for. The temple was supposed to be a representative rep- representation of God on the earth. And so in that, towards the end of his life, Jesus was basically conveying to his disciples, to, to really all the Jews that. He was the temple that they they should have been worshiping. Jesus was the very tabernacle that that God had set amongst them and that their their worship should have been oriented toward him and not this this building that they were coming to and uh, uh, bastardizing. And so the case that Mark builds really is quite compelling. If you have eyes to to see what he's unfolding and ears to hear and, 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 and a heart to believe. And the picture painted of Jesus in the Bible is that you just can't be like you just can't like Jesus. You have to either you have to accept him for who he's presenting himself to be and embrace him and worship him as God. Or you have to completely reject him all out. And that really is the the the, what, what Mark gives us as what we do with Jesus. This Jesus, you either worship him as God or you completely reject him all out. And so in Mark, there's this pressing question for us. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? When Jesus rose from the dead, he reappeared to his disciples. He commissioned them to be agents of renewal in the world, really until heaven comes. And so the question that Mark leaves us is, will you follow this Jesus? Will you follow him? Will you take up the life of the risen Christ? Will you walk with him in the works that he's prepared in advance for you to do? Will you follow him? And to help us understand that, we're going to look at Peter's life. Peter's an interesting character because Peter, uh, Peter was there from the very, be- very beginning after Jesus um, was, was commissioned by John the Baptist in his baptism. Obviously, Peter had seen Jesus walking around and uh, probably had heard of him even before he decided to follow him. And as Mark unfolds the character of Peter. He shows us two glimpses of this man. First, he shows us shows us this bold, courageous guy who jumps before he thinks. But then he also shows shows us a guy who who messes up in many ways. And what I want us to see in Peter's life is just the unfolding of how you actually become a disciple, how how Jesus takes us from who we are. And makes us what he would of us through uh, through his interaction with us. And we're going to do that by going through several passages uh, in, in the book of Mark, starting with right here in chapter 1. So let's read verse 16 uh, and through 18. Let's read these out loud together. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, son, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, Mark is short on details here. We absolutely have no background at this point of what's what's going on, except that Jesus is, is walking about in Galilee and calling people to himself. It would have been nice to have known the background to to Simon and Andrew. It would have been nice to have known if if they were successful fishermen or about a little bit about their family, um, all that kinds of stuff. And this really is characteristic of of Mark in his gospel. Mark is set on just giving us the, the, the meat, so to speak. OK, he is telling us the, the story of Jesus without a lot of the peripheral details. Um, I think Mark's point here is simply that Jesus calls and people follow. If you can receive that. He's he's showing us that Jesus has such divine authority inherent in himself that as people saw him and he gazed at them or just walked by, they noticed they noticed that something was special about this man and they had sense enough in themselves to follow him. Jesus was like that. Having said that, though, we can't we can't dismiss the fact of who he is actually calling to himself uh, in this this first instance of of calling a disciple. Um, You got to note, firstly, he says Simon and and Andrew, they're brothers. Simon is is, is Peter himself. And you also have to note he's 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 inviting two fishermen. Of course, in this day and age, a fisherman was no was nothing special. OK, they were they were the hard workers of of the vocational vocational crowd. There was nothing special about them. And so the, the thing that we learn here is that Jesus calls us right where we are. There's nothing significant about Simon and Andrew, yet Jesus calls them right where they are. And he does this again and again in his ministry. He sees someone, looks at them and beckons them to follow him. Have you recognized like Peter got calling you right where you are? Have you do you realize that God is not asking you to be successful or to get your life right or to have everything lined up perfectly in every area of your life before you follow him? He's simply offering you the opportunity. Jesus is looking at you by spirit. and He's saying, come as you are. Just follow me. The second picture we see of Peter is in Mark chapter 8. And if you'll flip over to several pages in the right of your, of your Bible, we'll read a few verses in the latter half of, of Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. I'll read. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter asked him, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And so in the first instance, we see Peter as as a disciple, just Jesus calling him really as the first disciple. In this picture, in this portrait of Peter, we're really going to see Peter as a courageous man. But at the same time, as if we were speaking out of both sides of our mouth, Peter can be a bit foolish. Peter's a courageous, yet he's also a foolish disciple. This is a significant passage. And Jesus recognizes this in in Matthew's gospel. Jesus says a few more words than this. Jesus recognizes that Peter has gotten a revelation. Peter just wasn't following Jesus and 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 just seeing all the things that Jesus had done and and put two and two together and said, you're you're the Messiah, aren't you? 
They weren't that bright. God had revealed to Peter, Peter first among all the other disciples, that Jesus was the he was the Christ, the anointed one, the one that God would send uh, from the Old Testament prophets that would come and be the savior of the world. And so in this scene here, it's 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 important that Peter is the one that acknowledges ahead of all the other disciples that Jesus is the Christ. And here's the point. This would have been very bold and courageous of Peter to just come out and say, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one, because if Peter got it right, then I mean, kudos, kudos for him. In fact, Jesus does applaud Peter for for getting it right after he acknowledged that, you know, God has revealed this to you. And then in Matthew, he goes on to say, and and you're Peter, you're a rock and I'm going to build a church on on you and your witness. But here, if, if Peter gets it right, if Jesus is really the Messiah, then everything these disciples know about their world and know about this Messiah that they're expecting to come and to rule the Jews, but also to to come and 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 save them. It, it turns their world upside down. They are walking. They're living life with the Messiah himself. But but here's the thing. If Peter overspoke and got this wrong, then he's just blasphemed. OK, and that's a, that's against the law as a Jew. Immediately after this, however, Jesus begins to explain what he came to do. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is, this is the scene. I can just imagine it. And so this this very important interaction has has come about. You got Jesus and his closest friends. Okay, and and in the midst of that, um, Jesus is is, so um, who do you say? Who do people say that I am? He's 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 gauging them on where they are in their understanding of who he is and what he's come to do. This is what this is what Marcus is laying out. And Peter gets it right. It's a pregnant moment. The spirit is there. And and Jesus said, man, God, you've revealed this to them. That means it's time for me to go into the second half of my ministry. Let's go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to to take on that mission for which I've actually come to suffer for the people of God and to die. And right in the midst of this, Peter just pulls Jesus to the side and say, what in the world are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You're not going to suffer and die. That's not why you came. I mean, that's what's going on. And we have to ask this question. What in the world is going on with Peter? And, and but therein, therein we see his personality. This guy that is courageous. He's bold. He gets it right. But at the very same time, he's so bold that he'll jump in and say the very thing that he's not supposed to say. And he does this with Jesus. I think the reason why Peter pulls Jesus to the side and we can. This is a rebuke. Peter is rebuking Jesus, the Messiah. You know why? Because Peter, I mean, he's like us. P- Peter heard what he didn't want to hear. Jesus said something that Peter wasn't ready for. G- Peter wanted Jesus to be his picture perfect Messiah coming as a warrior, a soldier. And he was going to overthrow the Roman government, set himself up a kingdom and a throne and be the savior of the Jewish world. And then go on from there. And Peter being his right hand man, I'm sure Peter thought, you know what? I'm, I'm here to get some power. I, I believe that, at least. 
And so Jesus, Jesus has to correct Peter in his thinking. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody being called Satan, that can't be a good thing. <laughs> it, it just can't be. This is, this is likening Jesus, to, you know, him, him uh, being baptized and then the spirit of God taking him out into the desert to, to be tested by Satan. And Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. He's, he's, he's countering all of, of Satan's ploys to get him to denounce, denounce his father, God, by doing all these things. And Jesus is using the word to combat him. And here he's, he's seeing that same spirit in Peter saying, you need to get behind me. For God has set me on a mission to go and, and to give my life for people like you. Peter, Peter has in mind, Peter wants to do what he wants to do. And we're like that, too. Peter, Peter has this mind of what discipleship is supposed to be like. This is what it's going to be like for me to follow Jesus. I'll go, I'll go to these places, but I ain't going there. I'll do this right here. I don't know if I can do that. And Jesus calls Peter on this. And he's saying, Peter... It's, it's not your way. It's my way. It's not your way. It's my way. Can, can you see yourself in Peter here? I mean, it's, can you see yourself in Peter? It's, it seems that Peter sometimes hears the part that Jesus says, but he but he doesn't quite listen all the way. It's like sometimes, you know, my kid, I, my kids like hear part of what I love. go do this and this and this. And they don't hear the latter, the last part. They just they jump the gun or sometimes it just turn me off in the midst of a sentence. And Peter has turned Jesus off in the midst of a sentence. Look what Jesus says in verse 31. He told them and he began to teach them the, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He told him, I'm, co- I'm coming. I, this is my mission. I've come to suffer. God has set me on this mission. But don't worry. Don't fret. There's, there's life after death for me. Peter jumped the gun. I, I, I think these words, these words of Jesus put Peter in deep thought. Peter got stuck. And sometimes we get stuck. I mean, do you ever get stuck on hard words? In the, these are hard words. Jesus, Peter, he wanted this perfect Messiah to come and do what he thought that Messiah was supposed to do. And he was he took joy in following the picture of the Messiah that he wanted. And when Jesus presented something different for him, it rocked his world. And we do that same thing. We get stuck on the words in Scripture, sometimes when they aren't what we expect, when they go against the grain of who we want to be in likes of how the Bible is calling us to, to follow God. And so Peter got stuck. He got stuck to the point where he didn't hold on long enough to to receive the grace that God was giving him in the rest of the sentence. And it's but but. After three days. I'll rise again. Peter, he didn't hold on long enough to see that there was grace in the word for him. This is what happened to Peter. And sometimes we do that, too. Jesus doesn't just stop there. After he rebukes Peter, he begins to unfold very clearly what it means to follow him. Verse 34 and calling the crowd to himself, 
Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, but whomever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's a lot here. We're going to cover this in two weeks. We're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. That's what this passage is. It's talking to you. It's talking to us about there's a cost that comes with following Jesus. And it's a cost that that seems like, dang, I don't know if I can do that. It's, it's costly. But I can't just leave you hanging. What is Jesus saying to Peter here? He's saying, put aside what you think life and discipleship should be. D- die to that. Die to it spiritually, and you might have to die to it physically. Put aside all your preconceived notions of what it means to follow me and just follow. That's what he's, that's what he's getting, what wanting Peter to do. And so we are beginning in these first two passages to see this interesting picture of Peter becoming a disciple. First, we see that Jesus calls him right where he is, and he allows Peter to walk with him, see miracles, healing people. Jesus sermonizing about this kingdom that had come with his with his coming. And here we see Peter being very courageous and bold. God gave him a revelation of who he was. And Peter identified that first amongst the disciples. But then we see Peter misspeaking. The foolish side of Peter comes out. And Jesus has to rebuke him because Peter didn't understand what he came to do. The third picture of Peter is Peter, the prideful disciple. Peter, the prideful disciple. This is a great story. This is not a great story. Actually, it's an interesting story. Flip over two chapters to chapter 10. This is a story of the rich young man. We're not going to read this whole story. Interesting, but also sad. So there's this rich young man who comes to Jesus. He kneels before Jesus and he he asked him, Lord, uh, tell me how I can have eternal life. And Jesus, you know, Jesus, let's reach right through this dude. And he says, uh, Jesus gives him a few of the, 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 the commandments. You know, right? uh, d- don't murder, don't steal, don't, don't do these things. And uh, the rich young man retorts back, um, well, Lord, I, I've actually followed all of these from my youth. So the, the man was saying, I'm, I'm very moral. I'm, I'm upright. I'm as upright as you'll find anybody. And so the scripture says Jesus loved him. I love those words. Interestingly, Jesus didn't I mean, Jesus didn't break out an apologetic. Jesus wasn't trying to, like, throw all of it, you know, everything that he knew at this man. He wasn't trying to convert him. But it does say Jesus loved him. And the the scripture goes on to say that Jesus encouraged the man. uh, You lack one thing. Sell all that you got. Go give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the sadness of this of this narrative is that the man walks away. His his he had great morality, but he couldn't get past his idolatry of his stuff, his material goods, his his great wealth to simply follow Jesus. All right. That's an aside. That's not the part we're going to talk about. We got to get to Peter. Verse 20, uh, 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. All right, let me pause here. All right, so there's some interesting stuff going on here. Um, Jesus isn't saying that you can't be affluent, that you can't be rich and follow him. That's not his point. I can't go too, too deep in it. Um, so if you're one of means and you got stuff, material goods, he's not saying you, you got to give all that stuff up and, and give it to the poor. He's after something different. He says, if, even if you have a lot of stuff, that can't be your that can't be your place of worship. You can't such, so idolize your stuff like the rich young man that you miss the opportunity to worship the one who deserves to be worshiped. And so going on, verse 26, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you, Jesus. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Again, there's a, lot, there's a lot here. Jesus is saying to Peter very simply, he, he's taking the situation with the rich young man that they had just witnessed and saying, Peter, You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. What you've done, how you do it, no matter how good it is, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself with with who you are, how much you have, or how perfectly you do it. You can't merit heaven by what you have, nor by what you do. Salvation is of God alone. Peter apparently didn't get this message. Somehow he didn't get this message. I mean, look what he says. Verse 28. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. We've Lord, we're not like this. This rich young man. We've left everything and followed you. We've given up all. I mean, Peter was a married man. He had kids. And I'm sure we don't know the, the Bible doesn't convey to us how the disciples interacted amongst Jesus with their families. We have to assume that their families were in the mix somehow. But Peter did set aside his his career as a fisherman to follow Jesus. And Peter basically responds to Jesus. We've done all that you've asked this man to do. I mean, can we will we be saved? Can we can we have all that that we're supposed to get? And I think it's, it, we, get, we see this, this interesting picture of Peter. He gets it on one side, but then he doesn't get it on the other. And I think we can be like that, too. But can, you see yourself, can you see yourself in Peter here? Peter's trying to prove himself to Jesus. He's saying, Lord, we're not like that dude here. I mean, we've done everything. We've dropped everything. We just stopped what we were doing and we follow you. Does that merit your love? Does that merit your favor? Will you let us into heaven because we drop everything to follow you? Perhaps you've, I don't know, maybe you've done that. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you haven't done it to God, but have you done it around other people? 
Have you tried to prove yourself around other people? Are you always trying to boast in how in big or small ways um, you do great things or that you're important in a certain setting? Have you done that? And so Jesus is saying here, you can't save yourself. God's blessing is not a response to your work. It's a free gift of his grace. And so here's Peter and all of his tried, all his pride trying to prove himself, trying to prove himself to Jesus, no less. This last picture that we have of Peter is, that we'll look at is, um, is in verse, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just had his last meal with the disciples, and afterwards they go to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus is going to pray. And, I mean, he's, you, we read in here the agony that Jesus is feeling as he comes to grips with this thing that's about to happen in his life, as he lays down his life, dying in our place for our sin. And so he tells the disciples in verse 27, You will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And so Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not, Lord. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Verse 31. But emphatically, if I must die with you, Peter saying, I will not, I will not deny you, Jesus. And they all said the same thing. All the disciples said the same thing. And here we get this, this picture of an overconfident Peter. For, you know, firstly, he was boasting about, hey, I've dropped everything to follow you, Jesus. And then in this next scene, Peter's saying, Lord, I'm the most faithful follower you got. Like, I'm, the, I'm the number one disciple. I will never let you down. What happens next? <laughs> Peter loves Jesus. Let's, let's put that on the, on the table. Peter does love Jesus. There's, there's, we, we can't um, be over, overly critical of, of, of Peter here. It just seems that he tries to prove how much he loves Jesus in uh, a tangible way. He's trying to prove how much he loves Jesus in his own strength. He wants, Jesus, he wants to show Jesus how much he loves him. And so... Then, then we get this emphatic rebuke of, of Jesus from Peter in, in, in verse 29. Do you, do you perhaps see yourself in Peter here? I mean, could you see yourself doing something like this? Have you ever had someone around you that failed at something and you said, gosh, look at them. I, I could never do that. I would tell you, in my line of work, I've been a pastor for a while and uh, you know, the, the, the saddest thing for the church is when a pastor does something, a moral failure. And oftentimes, uh, you know, a, a pastor, I'll hear of other pastors in moral failures or financial failures. And, uh, and one side of my brain will say, you know what, that's, that guy was stupid. Why did he do that? And then right in the midst of my, my words coming out, the Holy Spirit will, will jog me. And sometimes my wife, by the Holy Spirit, jogs me and reminds me that, this could be me. This could be any of us. And so when we when we say something of someone else who's fallen, who's failed, we have to remember that it's only by God's grace that we're not in that same predicament, that same situation. And this is what Peter does. He underestimates his capacity for failure. Have you ever done that? I mean, do you do that? Do you underestimate your capacity to sin 
and to fail? Do you think that in and of yourself you have what it takes to follow Jesus? I'm going to follow Jesus perfectly. I'm going to do everything that he tells me to do. I'm not going to do the things he doesn't want me to do. I'm going to be the perfect disciple. This is what Peter was after. And he didn't succeed. Perhaps you don't think of it that way, but maybe it shows up in a different way. Maybe you've experienced it like this. Say you mess up, you, you, you sin, and then you go, you, know, you go to your prayer closet and say, Lord, I'll never do that again. I just won't do it, Jesus. And then the next week, you do it again. Have you ever had that happen? You say, you, you plead with God, Lord, I won't do that again, and you do it. You fail, you fail the Lord. What that is, is confidence. It's overconfidence in your ability to follow Jesus. And so what we learn here is that Peter is, is, is speaking out of love and out of zeal, but he couldn't follow through. He, he couldn't match. He couldn't authenticate through his life what he felt. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took uh, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began uh, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not as not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? So just a little comment on, on what he's doing. Firstly, I find it very interesting in verse 32 that Jesus didn't tell him to pray. He just says, like, sit here, just sit here and pray. And I think that's part of just the emotionalism that Jesus was going through at the time. I mean, he just he was having a difficult time just embracing. It's, Jesus was a human. He had emotions and he was he knew what life was going to be like from this point on. And he has his disciples, his closest friends to, to sit there with him. And then he took Peter, James and John, the, the, the closer of the close ones and had them come a little bit closer to him. And then in this moment where Jesus just needed someone who was awake and alert and by his side, he finds his best friends sleeping And then he keeps on going. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this 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 phrase, the spirit is willing. Jesus is speaking to Peter's personal issue here. Peter is trying to serve Jesus out of his his own strength. And he's he's, he's saying, Peter, tap into the, the God within you. You can't do it in your own strength. But God has he's he's called you to trust and depend. He can do it through you. You can serve me. Follow me. Befriend me, be here with me, not in your own strength, but in the strength that God provides you. Where are you? Verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, right after Peter tells Jesus that he won't deny him, I mean, he falls asleep three times. He, he fails Jesus. Jesus, in the midst of his, of his agony, he needs some, just some friends to be close to him. And his friends fail him. When Peter should have been praying, 
he was sleeping. And of course, from here on out, Jesus goes to he gets arrested and then he goes to trial. So let's jump to chapter 14, verse 66. Verse 66. Y'all keeping up? Keeping up with the story? We got a little bit more. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. All right. Comment here. Um, Jesus is is going to be tried by by the Jews. Two trials, actually. This is the first of his three trials. And this is important because what Mark wants us to see is that Peter is the only one of the disciples that were in the garden with him that actually followed. This is a bold move. Think about it. Peter had just failed Jesus by going to sleep when he should have been awake praying. But in this next scene, we see Peter is is courageous enough to follow Jesus. Jesus is up in the with the high priest being tried. Peter's down below, although, you know, he's in the background in the, in the behind the scene trying to figure out what's going on. But at least he's there. Verse 67 and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, this girl looked at him and said, you also were with uh, were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither knew nor understand what you mean. And when he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you are Galilean. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. It, it, this, this is hard. You, you see the, the downward spiral? First Peter, he's like, nah, what are you talking about? And then the, the next time he says, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know that guy. And then it says he starts invoking a curse on himself. Pretty telling of Peter and his faith at this point. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. I want us to see. I want us to see ourselves in in Peter's actions here. Some of you probably read this immediately. You say, you know, I've never done that. I mean, I've never outright denied that I that I knew Jesus. But here Peter is he's fearing, firstly, embarrassment by association with Jesus, with what others would say about Jesus. He doesn't want to be associated with that Jesus. He's also fearing for his own safety by admitting that he's with Jesus. We could say that Peter's weakening under the challenge to present a faithful witness to to who Jesus is. And do you see the irony here? Here Jesus is being being tried saying that Jesus is being tried for being a blasphemer, saying that he's God. But Jesus, he is God and he's holding true to that. And then here Peter is, is he's being asked, asked simple questions and Peter denies any connection with Jesus at all. What irony we see in that. And so verse 72, when the when the, the rooster crows, it's like an alarm clock going off in the middle of the night. And when you're having a dream, it's like, ah! Matthew's gospel, I mean Luke's gospel, says that when this happened, Jesus looked at Peter, I mean, eye to eye. And of course, Peter just, I mean, he remembers. It's like, you know, lights come on. Alarms are sounding. He's remembering all that Jesus said would happen. And it's coming. It's coming to pass. It's coming true. What's interesting in 
Mark's account is, I mean, this is the last we see of Peter until the resurrection. He's like, it's Peter disappears from Mark's account. There's no Peter. As if, uh, as, as if Peter's just left to wallow in his own failures. But those of you, this is a big but, but those of you that have read the Acts of the Apostles, those of you that have read the epistles, know that this is not the last of Peter. Why? Because, I mean, think about it. Peter becomes awesome, right? Peter becomes an awesome disciple. Peter is the leader of the early church. Peter gets to preach at uh, Pentecost. Peter healed people. Peter was the one where he just walked by and people like, I mean, uh, his body would touch your handkerchief and like they get healed. This is Peter, the Peter that failed Jesus in so many ways. And so what we have to consider is we get ready, get ready to close, get ready to close. I mean, how how does Peter go from this to that? I mean, how does he become the disciple that's the leader of the early church from who from who he is? And I think we got to look a little bit further in Matthew just to unfold that. Matthew 16, verse seven. The angel says, go to the disciples and Peter that and tell Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. This is post resurrection. The disciples, um, Mary Magdalene. And the other Mary are at the tomb of Jesus. Jesus is just resurrected and the angel appears before them when they go to see Jesus body and to anoint him. And uh, the angel specifically says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He's, he's alive. Go meet him in Galilee. Those are significant words. It's as if Jesus through this angel, uh, he's trying to boost Peter up. He's like, Peter, it, it's not over, buddy. You're not sidelined. It's okay. Get back in the game. And so the next scene, they go to Galilee and John's gospel tells us what happens next. And this is pretty neat. So flip over to John and we're almost done. They go to Galilee and uh, apparently Matthew, uh, Mark's gospel doesn't tell us this, but there are two other, several, uh, at least three other appearances of Jesus before the disciples. He appears, they were eating one time and he uh, appears to them. A couple of times they didn't, they didn't believe it. Uh, people came back and said, hey, we saw Jesus. They didn't believe it. But then there's two, a couple of times that they actually, he actually appeared before them and they believed it. And so they're in Galilee. Um, they're hanging out. Peter decides to go fishing. Okay, they go fishing. They're out in the midst of the water. Peter has his clothes off doing his fisherman thing and they they ain't catching nothing. Okay, and then Jesus appears on the shore and he yells, hey, guys, caught any fish? He said, no, ain't nothing now. We haven't caught anything. And then he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And then we get this. These words here in John 15. When he was finished with breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, uh, he said to him, follow me. A lot here. I'll make it a simple point. 
Jesus is prodding Peter. Okay, he's prodding him. Your, your life's not over. Your journey's not over. I'm just not reconciling you to fellowship. I'm reconciling you to leadership of my church. This is what Jesus is conveying to Peter here. Uh, the imagery of stretching out his hands is Jesus is telling Peter, you're going to, to die a fitful death on a cross. Church historians tell us that Peter was crucified much like Jesus, except he was crucified upside down. Peter didn't think he was worthy to be crucified just like Jesus. There's a lot here in this particular passage the primary thing that Jesus is doing is reconciling Peter back to himself. But he's also reconciling Peter back into ministry. Uh, scholars tell us, don't make too much of, of Peter, uh, of, of Jesus uh, and the three, the, the, the word love. You know, love is love. OK, love is love in the Bible. But we do have to take note that in the Greek, there are two versions of love being said by Jesus to Peter and then by Peter in reciprocation to Jesus. The first two times that Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? He uses the Greek word agape, which in the Bible is, is it conveys the kind of love that God has for his people. Sacrificial, unwilling, um, willing. Um, it's, it's a love. It's an over the top kind of love. And Peter responds back to Jesus. Uh, Lord, you know me. You know, I, I phileo you. I, I have brotherly love for you. And the point here is, you know, Peter's been this boastful courageous man all of his all of his life walking with Jesus. He in fact, Peter, uh, Peter um, professed to love Jesus more than he could produce. Peter said, I'll be first. I'll never forget. I'll never uh, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll, I'll follow you perfectly. But Peter never could authenticate through his life what he said with his mouth. And so here Peter backs away. And so the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo? Do you brotherly love me? And, 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 and Peter just like, Lord, this is all I got. I, the other times I was boastful. You know, I, I said more with my mouth than my heart could convey. But, yeah, I, right now I got phileo. That's all I got. I just I just brotherly love you. Maybe I'll grow a little bit from here. And, and the neat thing is the beautiful thing is Jesus receives that. He said, Peter. It's OK. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Jesus was Jesus was saying to him, you know what? I've been waiting for you to get to this point. I, I've always loved you, Peter, but this is what I this is what I want you to recognize. You don't have to work for my love. I love you because I've called you and, and you follow not perfectly, but you have followed me. And then Jesus gives Peter the ultimate opportunity to to take to tend his church. Jesus is saying, Peter. I love you so much that I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what no one else ha- can do. I want you to tend my I want you to love what I love and I love my church. And so tend my sheep. These are those are beautiful words, beautiful words, beautiful words. Let me find my place. This is crazy because if we were in any other corporate organization, we would not choose a guy like Peter to put them in charge of our organization because Peter has failed enough to prove that he can't be counted on when we need him, need him most. But Jesus does the exact opposite. And so in the end, Jesus tells Peter he's going to get crucified. Peter, you're going to die a death like mine. In Mark 8, we read, you, you'll lose your life if you want. You have to lose your life if you want to gain it. And here he's saying the same thing to Peter. You're going to lose your life, Peter. You're going to be crucified. And church history tells us that Peter does lose his life. 
Exactly the way Jesus says. But Peter dies a dignified death and he served Jesus all his life, leading the church. And of course, uh, Peter wrote, obviously, his own epistle. Lastly, Jesus says, follow me. And I'll close with this. Though it costs you your life, he says, follow me. In fact, Jesus says, I'm life, Peter. And the the invitation that Jesus gives to Peter is the invitation that he gives to us. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Not in perfection, but will you follow me coming as you are? Follow me, not in perfection. Would you follow me even if you're prideful? Would you follow me even if you're courageous in one side and foolish in the other? He offers you the opportunity to follow him. Jesus is asking all of us, will you follow Even if it costs you, will you deny yourself? Will you put aside your strength, your confidence, your zeal, your pride? Will you get over all of your failures in the ways that you haven't uh, met your own standard for following Jesus? And will you trust and depend on and experience him? Jesus says he'll use you as an agent of renewal. He'll let you tend this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the picture that we see of Peter. Peter was your first disciple, Jesus. Peter was a courageous disciple. And that's the good side. And then there's the other side of Peter. He was foolish. He spoke before he should have. He jumped in with both feet and sometimes he sunk by doing it. Peter was full of pride. But you used all of that for good, for the good of of Peter as a disciple who's called after you. But more importantly, you used it. Uh, as a man who you would lead to to tend your church. And Lord, we I don't know about those these folks in here, but I want to be like Peter. I want to be a guy who so loves you. Love I loves you where we are right now. Maybe not perfectly. Maybe it's just a phileo. Lord, I just phileo you. But Lord, I know you receive that and you take it and much like you did in the the apostles' life, simple fishermen and tax collectors and just reprobate people. You changed your life by the message of the gospel and you made them what they couldn't become on their own. People who followed hard after you, people who were willing to deny themselves, pick up the cross daily and follow you. So we thank you for the picture. Now we ask, Lord God, that you would take us, take us as we are offering as little as we can and make of us more than we can be without you. God, would you Take our phileo and turn it into a full-fledged, Lord, I I got you. Lord, would you take uh, us prideful and meek and sinful, failures, failures and all, and teach us very simply as we walk with you how to follow. Lord, I commend to you these people, their lives, their hearts. Take them as they are and do with them more than they could ever imagine. And it's in your great, wonderful, beautiful name, I pray. Amen.